Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, coming back for a part two of sorts after part one was part of the punk wrestling connection episode, um, a special episode way back when, but my buddy, my pal from the band ceremony from, from a lot of other projects too. Anthony Anzaldo jr. Is back on the show for like a full episode this time. And it's a, it's a doozy of a conversation with my pal more on that in one second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham and guest booker normally. Well, this, this time was me setting it up, but you know, he normally does that stuff. He's, he is the backbone of this podcast. My brother, Tristan Abraham, he also runs the Facebook page. So if you want to get a mes- message to me, you can go through him, send a messages to those places. We also have a turn out a punk Instagram page that he runs as well as a Tumblr. I don't know if anyone uses Tumblr anymore. I don't even know if we use the Tumblr anymore, but there is a turn out a punk Tumblr out there. So find that. Maybe I should do a TikTok. Turn out a punk TikToks. That would be annoying. Well, who knows? Who knows where technology will take us next. Uh, If you'd like to support this show, the best way to support this show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone know that you know about this cool podcast where they talk about cool stuff and you can listen on to that. Uh, You can also support this podcast by subscribing to it and writing a review or rating it on your platform of choice. And uh, you could be like Vans and support this podcast by sponsoring it. No, 
Just kidding. Vans is our sponsor. They come out, came on board uh, a while ago now. It's like two years ago now and said, do your podcast. We just don't want you to lose money doing it anymore, Damien. So here you go. We're going to help you not have to do it out of pocket. And they also bring me out to great events and I'm working on a cool documentary podcast of sorts, uh, in the background right now. Uh, that's going to be coming out soon, documenting the whole spirit of DIY vans parties that happened earlier this year that I went to, but more on that in the future, more on that. There's a lot of, you know, now that I got nothing going on in the band thing and the TV shows are all out, I'm just going to focus on Turnout of Punk. So I got a lot of stuff happening in Turnout of Punk. More on that in the future. But but for now, thank you everyone at Vans for coming on board and supporting this thing and, and cheering for this thing. And check out House of Vans parties happening all over the place. Philadelphia right now, the, the New York ones are legendary. Chicago ones are legendary. Like, oh. So much fun. Anyway, so check it out, the uh, House of Vans, and, and thank you to Vans for believing in this podcast and letting me book whoever I want to book, just doing my thing. And they're just like, do your thing. We're just going to support you so you don't have to, you know, take take out of your kids' college funds. Not to guilt you, but that's what was going on. I was just stealing from my kids to give you podcasts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Okay, well, that's it. Okay, now on to today's show. Today, my boy Anthony's on the show, my friend. I've known Anthony for years. Uh, he stayed at my house uh, way back when, when Ceremony were on their first, I think it was their their first international tour in the sense that they came to Canada on that tour. Uh, someone that I've hung out with many times, many, many times all over the world. And I'm a big fan of his work, his band's work, and just, him as a person. So it was high time for him to come back on the show. If you have not heard the Punk Wrestling Connection episode of Turn Out of Punk, I believe it's still in the feed. It's going to be eventually moved behind the Patreon wall. We have a Patreon too. I'm going to, you know, people that are supporting that, a really huge thank you to those people. But, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold back on promoting that thing till, uh, for a couple weeks yet. Um, so, but if you want to find it, it's there, it's there. But anyway, this is still out for free on the main feed, but there is a, a, a turned out a punk punk wrestling connection episode. My friend Madison from fury made it happen in LA, had a lot of cool guests on it, including Anthony. And Anthony is someone who, you know, he's been, he's been a guest of a, of a hall of fame inductee at the WWE Hall of Fame. He is he has spent time as a young child with a posthumous inductee into the Hall of Fame too. He's got some incredible wrestling stories as a fan and as someone who kind of is is definitely very adjacent to the business. But you can hear all that because that's not discussed on this episode. Don't worry. If you hate wrestling, don't worry. That's not discussed on this. You can hear that on the Punk Wrestling Connection episode of Turned Out of Punk. But this time, Anthony is on to talk about punk and to talk about his band, Ceremony, and their new album and just being, uh, you know, constantly driven by by being creative and, and taking your band in new places and not everyone being up for the challenge of going along with you and stuff that rings really, really rings home for myself. And I think for a lot of people out there that play in bands, there is this is a really great conversation, a very open conversation between the two of us. Uh, and yeah, like he is someone who, um, I've watched grow as a, as a musician and as a, a person, like I've known him for so long now and just someone that is constantly pushing themselves creatively and doing new, interesting things, working with tons of different bands, done tons of different projects, but also just with ceremony. Anyway, that, that is 
all I'm going to blab on now. I'm going to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy Anthony Anzaldo Jr. on Turned Out a Punk. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Buddy, thank you for having me. Well, you were on before, but it was only really talking about wrestling. So now we're going to talk about our other shared passion. Right. Punk. Punk rock. The punk punk rock music. And I got to start them off the way I start them all off, which is, Anthony, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Yeah. um, Well, I had heard and been familiar with the Ramones as a youth. Um, my father worked in the record industry. He was a, a radio rep for MCA Records, and before that, um, Electra Records in the 90s. So we had um, just a vast uh, record and CD collection in our house. But oh yeah, it was never it was never anything that was really underground. You know, it was you know he worked for major labels, so it was all major label and you know. Um, major label adjacent stuff. So I remember we had the Ramones greatest hits and I was very familiar with that, but um, it didn't become um, tangible to me until I was a freshman in high school. And I was um, sitting next to my friend, Scott Phillips, um, who later sang in a band called Lifelong Tragedy. Um, And we were sitting next to each other and I asked him what kind of music he was into and I was pretty arrogant when it came to music. Like I thought music was my thing, you know, mm-hmm. like my dad, my dad came up in the industry. You know, my, my uncle at the time was the, uh, was the vice president of promotions at Maverick records. I, you know, I really thought I knew more than anyone about music as a, as a, uh, as a freshman in high school. And my and Phillips sit next to me. Um, he was like, Oh, I'm into hardcore. And I'd never heard of that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, uh, wait, there's a kind of music that I don't know about. No, 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 no. We need to, we need to eradicate it. My first ever show was the first life on tragedy show in 2001. And around that time, um, the nerve agents were playing the Phoenix theater a lot, which is the venue closest to our house in Runner Park. AFI had played there for years. So um, AFI was a big, a big part of, you know, me taking, and, and a lot of us kids from the North Bay and just the Bay Area in general, um, in that time period from, you know, 2001 to, you know, their major label debut, they were a really big influence on, on all of us. Um, you know, I started going to shows in 2001 and that was, you know, kind of the, the peak of them, you know, their sort of their final days as an underground band, Mm -hmm. I guess. And they played the Phoenix theater, which was a venue, um, probably a five minute drive from Hunter park where me and all of ceremony grew up. Um, so their influence was, was very, palpable and tangible throughout throughout most all of us um and but lifelong tragedy so they were a band who they they, you know they started when we were in high school and they all went to our high school so you know there was a group of kids um 
three of three of us were are now in in ceremony um we just would just go to all their shows and they you know got at the time it seemed like these amazing opportunities you know they would even just the ability to play Gilman was like was was huge you know so we were able to kind of ride along with with them while they were sort of gaining a following and and exposure um but for me when look back and laugh started that was really when i found really when like the local i like i found my local band yeah you know that was sort of my era i mean they were older than me but it felt we're like the nerve engine AFI had already been established by the time I got into punk, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it was mm-hmm. hard to feel this, this strong connection to them where look back and laugh was like, this started while I was going to shows and they were just, I mean, if, if anyone has seen them, one of the greatest live bands of any genre, I feel. Oh, ever. And yeah, I absolutely. always hear that they, um, I've always heard that they're like, I've heard them be described as one of the most underrated punk bands. Um, but for us and for our group and in the East Bay and in the Bay Area and, you know, and the North Bay, they were not underrated at all. <laughs> everyone, everyone bowed down to look back and laugh. Yeah. Um, it's funny also, like prior to that AFI, it's just how... You know, I went out one time and I saw him, I guess, in Santa Cruz around 2000. And it was mm-hmm. ridiculous. That show was just insane. How many kids were just like going off and just like, you know, like just crazy stage dives. And it's like, you know, AFI, I think a lot of people appreciate them as like kind of a, you know, a band that was lumped into the skate punk scene or a band that got sure. huge. But like they were a legit hardcore band on the West Coast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Even into, you know, when they started, you know, when they start, when, when they adopted the aesthetic that is now very much associated with, with AFI, like, the, you know, like that death rock, mm-hmm. you know, post-punk vibe, even when they went in, even when they started, you know, presenting themselves in that way, they were still very much recognized as a punk and hardcore band on, on the West coast. And, and especially the Bay Area. Yeah. 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 And it was like, it was a, they were like hardcore kids were going off and like, and that's, that's what I was like taken by because, you know, it was, it was like a different crowd that took them up in other places. It felt like, but like very much like, like they were like the band on the West coast totally. and in the Bay area. It felt like too, as, as an outsider seeing that, um, where were you kind of getting into, like, were you going into stores to buy records at this point? Or is it like through the internet? Like it's still pretty early for hardcore internet culture. It really, yeah, it was. And it sounds silly to say, because in 2001, like the internet was very present, mm-hmm. you know, but we, we weren't, we were young, you know, we didn't have, the ability or, or the know-how to really get records from the internet. You know, yeah. I remember yeah. Age of Quarrel being suggested to me um, as a record to go buy. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, well, that's out of print. And then in my mind, I was like, oh, I guess I'll never hear that record. I don't know how to get <laughs> records on the internet. If something's yeah. out of print, I just won't get it. Yeah. You know, but um, Rasputin, in Berkeley was probably where 
we got most of our records and where I went record shopping the most because they divided uh, their um, their rock section and uh, from rock and punk, where Amoeba at this time was still their punk and hardcore records weren't separated. Oh, it's just in general so rock. Right, it was just in general rock. As to, uh, now, now it's not that way. No, but when we first started um, getting into stuff, only Rasputin had had the divided section. So we would always go to Rasputin first, and then if they didn't have what we wanted, we would walk down, and it was only a block away, um, as you know. Yes, we'd walk up to walk up to Amoeba, but Rasputin um, punk uh, section was where I probably purchased. I don't know. At least fifty percent of all the records I bought as a as a young punk slash hardcore kid. <laughs> um, and like you know, like with lifelong tragedy and, and yourselves, and like, were there a lot of hardcore kids in your your high school or like around at that time, or punk kids? I should say. It felt not really. There was probably a group of fifteen of us. Okay. Um, but we, you know, and at fifteen. We all played instruments. We all played in bands together, and we all went to every show for like three years straight. So mm. it felt to us, it felt like a scene, and it felt really tangible. But, um, but the reality is, we would all there. There would be shows that we would go to where we would be the only fifteen people there. <laughs> so when it's just like you and your friends, you know, moshing to your friend's band. Uh, I guess it's it's hard to qualify that as a as a scene. <laughs> How long into you going to shows did uh, ceremony start? Ceremony, so probably three three years. We started. There's there's a debate in our band of when the band started. Okay, I say the the band started in March of 2005 because that's when we played our first show. Mm-hmm. But we recorded our demo in December of 2004. So some of our bandmates say we started in 2004, but I feel the band was fully formed as a band until the demo was out and we started playing shows. That's yeah. why I feel like you're not a band until you have and until shows are happening and there's some sort of release out. That's when the band starts. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, uh, uh, it's interesting when you record the demo first too, like where did that, like, so how did the band come together and like, you know, how did it come together that you were recorded before playing a show? Yeah. So Ross, our singer, um, was so thirsty to do a band, mm-hmm. um, for years. And he did a band called hammer time. That was, um, sort of lumped in as like a novelty band. Mm-hmm. So they, so Ross kind of stopped that band because he was like, cause you know, this was something he was serious about. So then, um, Russ and I grew up together since elementary school. Um, so he'd wanted to start a band with me for years. So finally, when Hammer Time uh, was finished, he was like, "Dude, we have to do this band." I was like, "Okay." And he just had such a clear vision of what he wanted Ceremony to be, and he had all the lyrics already written for the demo. And he had the foresight to write, record, and release a demo at, like, you know, put it... And when, and when I say release, I mean 
put it on like the lifelong tragedy merch tables and yeah. our friends bands merch tables you know yeah. um so people could know the material once we started playing shows um which now is something that's you know most bands do but then like hardcore bands would play shows for a long time or for you know would would play a handful of shows before releasing a thing absolutely um, yeah you know where where ross just had he had he everything needed to be right you know he had mm-hmm. the idea for like our original rose like our roses logo we had that on t-shirts at our first show um and it was a very realized and i don't want to say calculated because that's a i feel like a a negative thing a negative term yeah you know but but we cared a lot about this project and we you know reading ross's lyrics at first i you know i remember thinking okay this isn't just a band that we're going to do for fun you know i mean it was but it felt different than the all the other bands that we had done that would play a handful of shows in a 50 mile radius of our home and that's it mm-hmm. um, it felt like this could be something more so we were just very careful with it and we wanted to make um we thought the material was good enough that with a good first impression it could be it could be a, a lasting a lasting project and so where were you kind of like taking influence from for the sound like uh you know on that demo sure um infest negative approach um we were, and you know, then when, you know, punk and hardcore was still pretty new to us. We'd only been going to shows for three or so years. And as you know, like when you get into, especially punk and hardcore, you don't immediately start with the classics. You start with what's current now, you know? So mm-hmm. we were really influenced by like, by Panic and American Nightmare, even at first, you know? Um, and then, and then you, you know, of course, like, oh, what, what influenced these bands? And then you go back to, you know, to the mags and AF and, and all that. But, um, we loved panic. We loved AN. We loved again, negative approach and infest and black flag. And Ross really wanted to have, you know, more blast beats and really short songs. If the, if the song was a minute long, it was too long. Yeah. Cause like you. Sorry, go on. I remember him having the lyrics cursed, which is, um, you know, there's definitely a certain type of ceremony fan um, <laughs> that that's that's like our, our, you know, because there aren't hits and 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 punk and hardcore in the traditional sense, but um, you know, it's the free bird for that is, person. Yes, curse is a song that many people you know, strongly associated with, with yes. band. and he wrote that song. He had that song before, um, ceremony was a tangible thing. And we would, we would keep writing songs. We knew it needed to be like mid tempo and we would be like, cool dude. So we got that. And he would be like, no, that's not good enough. Like, what do you mean, dude? It's fine. It's, it's cool. He'd be like, guys, the first Rick's, to this song are pack your fist full of hate and take a swing at the world. Do you think that that song is as good as those lyrics? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> with like he'd be like half joking. But he knew but but he also knew that he like wrote something that was really cool. Yeah. And he was yeah. like you know, we, we, we were just used to in bands where you just write and you know, you lay down the first thing that you kind of come up with. You put it with the next with a uh, a second part or a chorus that complements the first verse enough and that's your song. Mm-hmm. We had never been in a band where there was and I know like listening back and there's probably people listening to this podcast right now who are like, dude, the first ceremony stuff sounds really simple and it is, but every one of those songs we worked on until like Ross really felt like they were great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was really like us auditioning music for Ross's lyrics <laughs> for the first like couple years of being a band. Um, so it wasn't like we were talking about influences a lot when we started a band. It was more Ross had all the lyrics written and trying to write stuff that fit his lyrics. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he was like, okay, I envisioned this part being a fast part. And, you know, this part needs to only be one, one measure long. So we're like, dude, we're going to have a song that's a fast part that's four measures long and then a different one that's only one measure long. I mean, he didn't know the terminology. I'm just, you know, uh, to make it clear for the yeah. listener, like that's what I'm using. But we're like, dude, that's not a thing. He was like, well, that's where the lyrics go. It's like, okay okay let's figure that out like he didn't have a a clear concept of you know musicology you know he just knew that he wrote these lyrics and this is how they go and we have to write the music to fit into those words Mm -hmm. and that's how we wrote you know and that's how i wrote those songs it's so fast too like at the time so many bands were you know, going, going more mid tempo, going slower again. Um, and like, you know, like yourselves and there was like a kind of a wave, but certainly ceremony at the front of it where it was about speed again. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, I think because we were in, we were into punk, mm-hmm. you know, and though the hardcore scene is where, you know, we sort of belonged to, um, but really, it was it was fast bands and fast music that that we were drawn to at that time. Um, and in California, you know, the throwdowns of the world were definitely the big California bands, like yeah. Orange County. That scene had California on on lock. But at this time, that didn't just didn't speak to us at all. Um, and we were into we were into negative approach. That's what was the kind of music we liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no there was no thought about what's happening now. You know that wasn't you know at all. And and not to not not to blow smoke, but you know fucked up started sort of around then. And we were huge into fucked up. And you guys had this, you guys were able to, to kind of blend punk and hardcore in this way that was, that was really inspiring to us. Oh, I'm glad this is a radio one. So people can't see me blush. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, but I think like, once again, like it, it was like, it was so much faster. And I, and also like the thing I've always, 
you know, been really inspired by you guys that you've been able to kind of retain that fan that, that only likes cursed and they're still like somehow supportive of the band. Like, and I'm sure there are fans that are not, you know, and I'm sure you've dealt with the fans that weren't, but it seems like you've br- been able to bring a lot more of those fans along with you for the whole ride than, than, than ourselves have been able to. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, and you know, I, de- I could, I could theorize, but definitely wasn't conscious. And, you know, we're, we're definitely very lucky to have, to have had so many of our fans go along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've never abandoned any of our old, any, any of our old material. Well, well, that's not true. We still play some of our old material. <laughs> um, but I think like you said, and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I say this with no, um, you know, I'm not trying to gloat, but I think, when we started, there weren't a lot of bands, at least in California and especially in the Bay Area, who were doing the thing that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there was an, always an air of originality in our work. And I know how lame that sounds, and I apologize, but it's just it's just true, at least for the time and in context. You know, of course, we weren't the first band to 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 play fast punk, of course, but there weren't really very many people doing that in especially in, you know, early 2005, um, in the Bay area. So I feel like our fans have never been really like your basic standard hardcore fan. Mm. Um, I feel like we've always sort of attracted in like our, our artwork and our music always had this stark dichotomy, you know? And I think that was interesting to people. So, I guess it makes sense to me that there have been people who, who expect and want something different from us, you know? And I think that's how we've been able to sustain and to keep fans who, who may even prefer our earlier stuff. Um, because really us, us, uh, shifting is, of is, you know, we've set that precedent a, a long, a long time ago. Yeah, like that's the thing is the band is is constantly evolved sonically. Like not evolved because that once again implies that what was happening earlier was lesser than, but like sure. It, it's definitely like shifted, yeah, like uh, from record to record. Yes. Yeah. Um and it's funny because you know, we're we have a new album out and that's a common, you know, obviously, you know, we landed on that topic just organically, but that's always the first or second question of any of any press that we do and it's gotten to the point now where i just say look like we have been we have been changing longer than we were ever just a hardcore band and this is the we have landed where where ceremony is at you know it's not it can't, you cannot be surprised that we sound different from our last record. And also, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, my friend, but I feel like the thing that we have done is only really, um, is, is, is only really odd in the, in the term, in the, in the, under the umbrella of punk and hardcore, you know, most, most musicians and most bands, who have put out as many records as us who aren't involved with punk 
they change and shift over time. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the first cure record, not, and I know we're not, I'm not trying to compare us to the cure. Obviously they're the greatest band of all time, but the first cure record, listen to that. And then listen to their record 15 years later, sounds completely different, right? Where that, that same thing could be applied to us. But I feel that because, you know, punk is a very potent spice. It just is. Um, and hardcore even more so. So I feel like that's probably why our shift and our change has broken the brains of so many like peripheral listeners or peripheral people. Um, but it's just, it's, it's interesting to me because us changing over time is only a band changing over time is not obscure or really even interesting that's how it goes for most all styles of music for four bands that continue to release music over a long period of time. I think, yeah, it's punk and punk and hardcore is the only genre where it's celebrated. If your band somehow managed to sound the exact same, like years later, like people talk about out cold and how amazing out cold was because they never changed their sound ever. Right. It's like, right. Uh, right. There's so many rules that are counter to, to creativity in punk rock, just because right. punk rock's the only thing that actually has rules like that. It feels totally like, right. you know, like what other genre, like ironic. Has, yeah, it's absolutely. And it's like, and I guess that's why it's been able to maintain its purity is because I don't know, like, you know, Ben Lee, the, the singer, have you heard of that oh. guy? He was like, an, Aust- he was like an Australian kid that was signed to Thurston Moore's label when he was uh, 12 years old, 13 years old. And, uh-huh. and then signed to the Beastie Boys label when he was like 15 and he wrote a bunch of incredible records and kept writing incredible sure. records. He still writes great records, but he was kind of saying how punk is like, got this like built in test where it has to reject something before it ultimately comes back around years later to accepting <laughs> it. But it's almost like the, the purity test to make sure like right. it, it tests to make sure like if it goes away it wasn't meant to be punk in the first place, but if it's still there years later and it can be accepted into punk. Right. And that, that's, that's totally, I mean, that's has a lot of validity, but it's, yeah. But what's interesting is, I mean, the, the interesting part about that is though, most punk bands who are still around, who have been around for decades, their first material is still the most celebrated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even, well, even, if they, even if they, what was that? Maybe poison idea. Sure. Sure. Yes. Obviously there are, there are exceptions, but like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to name names, um, but you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of, a lot of bands who have sort of stayed in these, in these, um, in the, in, in the confines of their specific subset of punk, um, who, their their early material is what people associate with them and their late material may only be just a vehicle for them to tour or you know maybe big in europe but Mm -hmm. i've always said you know if we sounded like we did on our early records still it wouldn't be as good as those first records Mm -hmm. not even close Mm -hmm. we're not we're not in that mindset anymore we we can't you can't just tap into your 15 year old self and if you do or try, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it's disingenuous you know? to do that. 
right. And music and art is all about honesty, right? When, when anything is done that is honest, you could tell, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing though, is like, that's why I've always loved ceremonies because you guys have changed and it's never been like, like there is no departure record because every record right. is kind of setting up the next record's departure. It feels like, like sure. there's always like hints of what's going to come next in the right. record before. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like if you, I've always say, if you listen to, if you listen, to, if you're familiar with our discography or if you listen to us chronologically or reversed chronologically, it, it makes sense, mm -hmm. you know, but if you, if you isolate two records that aren't, that don't follow each other, you know, in the discography, then that's when it starts to be jarring. You know, it's funny because people have just, you know, like, well, why don't you just change your name? And it's like, your <laughs> name? What yeah. are you talking about? Like, we're the same, like, the four, like, me, Jake, JD, and Ross have been in the band since the first time we ever, since, since the beginning. We, yeah. This is, we write songs the same way. We have the same dynamic with each other. And, if you're really paying attention, there is something that is, you know, there's something that is cohesive throughout all of our releases. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I think that's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's weird how people, you know, end up taking ownership of artwork that other people make. Right. Like, and I'm, and I'm guilty right. of this too, where you're of like, course. this is mine. Like how, how dare they, not respect the sanctity of this important piece of art to me um, sure. by, by still existing, you know, and it's, it's, it's very interesting how, you know, once again, to like be on the other side of it and, and to see it like happening to something you make, it's, it's, it's very mm -hmm. bizarre. It's really bizarre. And, but in the last year or so, I've, I've kind of, I've kind of shifted my, my outlook from being like, what's wrong with everyone? People change, bands change. I mean, when I say everyone, like the reality is like a very small portion of of fans or former fans, whatever you want to call them, they get a huge part. They they are allotted a huge part of our narrative because they're the ones who feel the need to speak up. Mm -hmm. Where most people, when they like something, they listen to it, they they enjoy it and they move on with their life. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Um so there's a part of me that that is always hesitant to talk about, you know, this because I don't I don't want to give this small portion of people any power, you know, who 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 complain about our shift or our evolution or what have you. But with that said, my outlook has sort of shifted in the past year or so from you know, from what's wrong with these people and change all of the time and I think our new material, you know, uh, holds up, but I think that lately I've, 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 I've thought that, you know, our early material, you know, hardcore is, is a very, is, is, is very strict and punk, like, like we just touched on has a lot of rules. Right. Mm -hmm. And so therefore a punk and hardcore can only be so good, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not talking about preference here. Like there are people like us who punk is one of their favorite, if not favorite genres of music, of course. But I feel if you, and I'm not talking of, I, 
our, our, I guess I'm trying to say early material, I think is pretty close to as good as hardcore can be. And I know that sounds insane. <laughs> I know that sounds, I'm not trying to sound egotistical at all, but I feel like if you just took it, took our first seven inch and put it in another place in time, mm-hmm. like, sure, that, that it's plausible that that could be a classic record or yeah. classic seven inch where mm-hmm. our last record, I don't, I don't feel is nearly as good as uh, New Order or The Cure, you know, and that's kind of what it sounds like. So I think, so I guess what I'm trying to say, I think our hard, our, I think the Ruin 7-inch is better for for hardcore than the L-shaped man is for post-punk. Yeah, I get or what you're saying. There's almost a rock. There's like a, a self-imposed ceiling on punk and hardcore because of limitations That's that are being put on it. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I think well, I think it's it's funny you bring up New Order and you know we the Cure who came up earlier. Um, you know, all these bands came out of punk and ultimately kind of I guess leave the confines to have their their greatest sort of commercial success and and arguably artistic achievement in the case of the two bands you're talking about specifically. Um, you know, and it's, it's amazing how, yeah, like that, that thesis is, is a real interesting thesis because it does kind of hold up when you think about bands like, like that, or, or you think about, you know, a Duff McKagan and Guns N' Roses, or, or you think about like right. these people that went on to have much larger careers outside of their, in my opinion, amazing <laughs> early seven inch careers. Of course, of course. And that's, and that's what I'm trying to say is, yeah. is there are, there are no limitations to the sort of style of music that we have been playing in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, you know, I, I sort of understand the, the diehard celebration and like the claiming of identity with our early material. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I do love our new stuff and do think it is a superior, but I, 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 I have, be, I have begun to, understand more where that type of fan is coming from yeah like it's it's a uh it's a place where i don't know like we and we don't have to dwell on this anymore really but i just i just i'm just fascinated because i i feel the same you know like uh, the situation has i've been in the same situation where you're kind of beholden to other people's expectations of what you're going to do in a way that i yeah like in other genres i don't know if you would be right exactly Exactly. I mean, for a perfect example, and, you know, we, we um, just got put on a Spotify list mm-hmm. for our new record, some, you know, one of our songs. And it's, you know, like the, the Punk Unleashed uh, playlist. playlist like, yes. any, any, anything that gets our music exposed, I'm very thankful for that. That's using thank you. Thank you. But mm-hmm. the song that's on there is not a punk song. Mm-hmm. It's just objectively not. And, and it's just, there's nothing, it's becoming clear that there's nothing that we can do that will not shake that perception that other people have. Yeah, no, no. And and it's, it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's a weird thing when also you have to be slotted into something too. And like, you know, we're talking about a punk at a time when a band like The Cure and, and Killing an Arab 7-inch and a band Mm -hmm. like 
uh, Joy Division with the first seven inch were were punk, you know, in the same way the Sex Pistols were punk. And and right. now when people think of punk unleashed, like immediately my my eyes conjure up an image of like a red mohawk at the warp tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah, it's casualties. It's casualties. It's definitely casualties. Yeah. Like immediately, oh, Punk Unleashed. Yes. I know exactly what that's going to sound like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exploited. Uh, going back uh, to the Bay Area stuff. So where when you guys first came out, was there like an immediate uh, reception because you had the demo that had been circulating? Or was it something that, once again, needed to be built? There was. No, there was. Um, and... Yeah, there were there were there was like there were people singing along and doing all the doing all the moves, as they say, um, doing all the dancing um, at our first at our first show. And, you know, it was mostly people that we knew, you yeah. know, yeah. but this was the, our first this was a really our first band where it's like people are the words to our songs. Um, and for sure, that's because we, you know, we sold our demo tape and gave away our demo tapes um, for months mm-hmm. before before our first show. Yeah. Um, and which really allowed us, and just a lot, you know, we, we were able to sort of skip a step, you know, um, which, you know, gained the attention of, 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 of Malfunkers who put out our first 7-inch. Mm-hmm. And like malfunction was like kind of like an established label. Like you're right. Like it, it, it almost like you guys went from a demo to being on a national stage immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how we, that, that we felt we played, we played pausing numbers 2005 and it was, I think our less, it was maybe our 10th show. Yeah. Um, I mean, our first show was in March and then pause numbers was in, you know, the summertime and so it was really soon after we started and we thought we made it. <laughs> we made word and we were getting good, such good, uh, you know, reactions in, in the Bay area. And, you know, we felt like, you know, we, you know, we felt like our demo was hyped, you know, quote unquote. And we were so stoked to play pause numbers and we get there. And there was one person who the words to our songs and there was not apart from this one person, there wasn't anyone within like 20 feet of the stage watching us. Um, and we, we played at like 1130 and it was a good, we we're like, Oh, this is still the same. This is the same as any of our other bands. Like, yes, we have a little bit of attention our hometown. It was a good, it was an eye-opening moment, which was good. We're like, oh, we still need to work at this. We're not just going to be able to release music and have everyone who likes this kind of music just like it automatically because our 15 friends in our hometown know the words. But that said, we were able to play the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, mal- like Malfunction was able to make that happen for us. So there still was this, you know, we were, yes, we were coming out with a 7-inch, on you know a, a label with actual you know di- distribution and playing the biggest hardcore fest, but you know I th- we and I don't think like we tend like we consciously thought this. I think it was more subliminal, mm-hmm. but I think because we saw this gaining steam that we really thought it was going to start to gain steam. Um, where it's clear that we still had to put in a lot of work 
to, to make this happen, even though, you know, we were sort of chatted on message board. <laughs> it was also like a time where you could kind of get like, you know, if you had a group of friends that were really backing your band on like a couple message boards, talking about the band and bigging up the band, it could become something out of nowhere. Absolutely. Like totally. I mean, if you see a band with, you know, that has people singing along and, and there's a photo of that and it's yeah. on a message board, yeah. the people reading that message board don't know that those are your friends you live down the street from. They're, they're like, Oh, who's this band? That's, that's, you know, um, creating this reaction, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But I guess then you need the songs to back it up. Right. And like, that's the thing is of you course. guys have this seven inch that, that has gone on to become like a classic of the era that kind of, you know, was, was also serving you at that point. Right. We had, you know, and that it really puts things in the context. Now it's like we had a seven inch that I, you know, I think is, I think is great. Um, we had a very tangible physical aesthetic, you know, with our, with our merch and, and everything. Um, and we, as people had our, had, we, I think we're an interesting five people to look at, mm -hmm. you know, we kind of all look like that. We are in different bands, mm -hmm. you know, I know that's so, like, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you ever, is that something that you've ever thought about, Dan? Oh um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we, there was, there was so much like working sort of in our favor and it just goes to show that even with all of that, even with a with a uh, a good a good record, uh, a gr a good aesthetic, um, like the uh, and a and a strong personality behind the band, you're still going to play shows to five people. Oh yeah, sometimes hundred percent. You yeah. know, and uh, it just really goes to show how 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 difficult it it is to you know to to do a band a punk band, and it really is. Um, a labor, a labor of love as, you know, as silly or corny as that sounds, that's, that's what it is. And that's not really found in any other genre of music. No. And, it, and it's, it's also, you know, it's, it, it keeps you humble. The fact that you have to kind of like, no matter how, how big it kind of feels for a second, like it does require mm -hmm. that effort. And once you, you know, like now I'm anytime I, there's an overnight sensation in music, I'm like, bullshit. Like, Right. It's not a thing. Like, right. It's like, right. Absolutely. Unless there's behind the scene machinations going on. Like it just, it just, it, you have to put in work. Right. I remember, um, the first tour I ever did, it was a year before ceremony started. Uh, I was filling in for lifelong tragedy, um, on a U.S. tour. Um, we were all under the age of 18. So we booked the tour just on the 80 freeway in America <laughs> Yeah. There was just a straight a straight line across states. <laughs> um, we didn't feel comfortable like going up or down from there. We're like, just, just keep just stand the eighty. Yeah. We missed our first show in Denver, Colorado, so we just kept driving to Minneapolis. We get to Minneapolis a day and a half after we left Roner Park. Um, there were zero people paid at the show. We drove a day and a half to play to zero people. And that was one of the greatest days of my life. We yeah. just were able to play in another state, another state that seemed, seemed like such an impossible feat, 
even just a year prior to that. So just the fact that we were able to book a show and get there and play our instruments in another, you know, two time zones away was the was one of the greatest experiences at that time. And it didn't matter that there was no one there. And, you know, and it's like, it's like, it's like you said, it's like, you know, it's just like what we're talking about now. That's, you know, that's what makes this, this subset, this subculture so special um, mm-hmm. is that it's really one of the few genres, if not the only, that it's really just for the love of, of the, of the scene as, as corny as that sounds, you know, of, or, or, or of, of the lifestyle rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it definitely, it's, it's, you know, like it, there are ways to make money that are easier and less emotionally yes. draining. Right. <laughs> right. When making, making any money playing in a punk band is like winning the lottery. In oh, real life. absolutely. Yeah. Like you gotta, you know, like you gotta, you gotta look in the mirror and be like, fuck, I look like Tom DeLong and I'm going to sing a song <laughs> about Benoit balls and he'll be, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> like those that's like then like then you kind of know you're gonna do okay but like yeah it, it is it is really it is a it, it's it's a world that like and it's also because like there are these burdens of these these rules you know and there's mm-hmm. these like constant kind of like naggings on you to like well maybe i shouldn't do this potentially you know artistically fulfilling but dubious uh, commercially as for terms of selling out kind of thing, our opportunity presented right. to me, like, right. you know, like what other, what other world would tell you not to sign to a major label because it'll make you a sellout. If it's clear that you are trying to gain any sort of monetary success, that's when you're done. Oh, you're over. You are over. You're over. Yeah. Which um, I mean, for better, I mean, yeah. you know, that, that takes the sincerity away which Mm -hmm. is what you know like we just said any 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 good piece of art has to be sincere but it's it is but what is also true is that it is insincere to play punk music for money yeah absolutely and i think the other thing that is uh, is just you know constantly driven home is that like it's there's a there's a, like, well, I guess what you're saying, you know, there's a purity to it this way, you know, like there's something that's going to make right. sure that, you know, like everyone knows who the fakes are. Like you can see it like a million miles away. Right. Um, right. And that's the thing, you know, with, with us, you know, not, and not to carping on this, but it's just, you know, it just keeps coming around where, you know, there are people who think that we make this kind of music that we make now because of money. Yeah. And, the reality is we're not like, sure, our new record, you know, sort of sounds like Devo, but that doesn't mean we're expecting to be as big. Like we're using, like we're not using that as a vehicle to get as big. We just like that kind of music. And that's the kind of music that speaks to us. So that's why we make that. We, we are f- fully aware that a song like that sounds like our version of Gary Newman or, you know, Kraftwerk or whatever 
we fully understand that that's not going to take us up to the quote unquote next level Mm -hmm. to where we become rich musicians. I guess like, yeah, if you're trying to make something that was commercial these days, your goal would be trying to make music that sounded like Billie Eilish or Imagine Dragons or like that kind of music. Yeah. And not have anything. It's like we have guitars in our in our band. (laughs) We know we know we're not going to be making any more money anytime soon. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Recognize the, uh, the limitations that are placed on the genre these days. Right. Going back to before the limitations were placed on anything, um, what was it like, you know, when it did start taking off a little bit more? Like, you know, like there's that famous, I guess, pausing numbers that would have happened maybe four years after mm-hmm. that, five years after that, where you had the big yeah, the, intro. Right, at Sound of Fury. Yeah, at Sound of Fury, where everyone um, just goes off. Yeah, so that was 2007. Um, so really it was pretty, that was two years after we played, we opened pausing numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was really, it was pretty quick Mm -hmm. really. Um, and it was, it was such a, I remember that, that set still, I've never been, if you look at my face, there, there, (laughs) there are certain points where if you look at my face during that set, I'm, I'm in pure shock. Um, I never, you know, you never think that your, that your band is going to, so it was, it was pretty quick, you know, and, 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 you know, definitely in, 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 in California, um, it, we were, you know, more popular for lack of a better word than, than most other places. Um, California really likes to claim their thing, you know, um, I think we're very similar to like Canada or like Texas in that way. You know, it's a very tangible place, California. Mm-hmm. So when, when California has something that they're proud of, that's like, it's theirs, you know, and we, we sort of got that, um, in, in the early days. Um, but even going back to, you know, a theme throughout this whole conversation, we, you know, so we headline sanitary and, you know, crazy reaction, great show, you know, the whole thing, whatever. We go on tour in Europe, our first European tour, two months later, and we're like, dude, we just headlined the biggest hardcore festival. <laughs> we're going to slay Europe. Yeah, we're, It's going to be, everyone always talks about how big hardcore is in Europe, and it's gonna, we're going to crush. We play our first show to, we're opening for Bandit and Halfheart. There's like 400 people at the show. They're all there when the show starts for us. Like, holy shit, where you're going to slay zero people in the worst. <laughs> and this was like in, in like in like Hamburg, or like you know, like a major German city. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was it was just another one of those. Nope, you still nothing is going to be handed to you. You have to play here a lot more for people to care. And so that tour, there was maybe on a five week tour, I could probably count on one hand the amount of shows where people knew the word star song. And then the next tour where we crossed paths a lot Mm -hmm. on the never healed ceremony tour. Mm -hmm. um, uh, There were, you know, the shows got a little better. And then the tour after that in 2010 was, was good, you know, was, was good enough. It was, it was okay. But, it just goes to show that 
um, that nothing, it's always going to be tough. It's always going to be work. And you're and never I think, just done. And I think there's a certain type of band that does really well in Germany, you know? And oh, I, yes. It, it's like Have Heart. Like, we opened for Have Heart one time, and it was like, it was like we could have not existed. Like, we were just like filling the, the time between. They, yeah. Their 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 fandom is is unparalleled. Yes, yes, and it's like uh you know, and it makes sense because Battery was huge in Germany, Ignite was huge in Germany. Right. Like, there's a a certain yeah. sonic that seems to go over with German hardcore fans. Yeah, amazing. They love amazing core. They love the amazing core. Absolutely, they love it. They love it, <laughs> and it's you know, and that's the other thing I wanted to get also talk to you about is like. You know, once again, and it's funny because, you know, recently I talked to Danita from L7 and, and much in the same way, like you're a band that also outside of California, like it's hard to place you in a scene, you know, like you're not an amazing core band, you know, you're not like a, an 82 right. throwback band, like, you know, at, at any point, right? right. Like, it's just hard to like, did you ever feel like you, it was like, you know, a band without a country kind of thing? All the time we still, I still feel that way. Yeah. Um, I feel like when people ask me what kind of people like ceremony, I just say ceremony fans. Yeah. Because um, there isn't, you know, and there are places like a place like Japan really appreciates a a tangible thing, Mm -hmm. you know, like youth crew does really well over there or something that has like a very realized aesthetic and sound and culture. You know, and there are places that where um, those are the sort of things that 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 do well and any sort of place that has that sort of baked into the cake. We've never really been appreciated because we are so mixed, Mm -hmm. you know, and there is so much going on um, sonically and aesthetically with us that um, even still, still, it, it feels like we don't belong um, to a lot of, you know, to a lot of places out, out outside of the U S and, and, and even in the U S like the major cities are great. And there have been some like obscure little suburbs and peppered out throughout the country that have always been really good, but they're definitely like, I don't write the set lists to our shows, mm-hmm. but the reality is our show could be so many different things that, you know, there's a lot of times we play where there are, I, I look out into the crowd, you know, while the opening bands are playing and there's no hardcore kids, you know, so I'm like, okay, no, no old songs tonight, only new stuff. And then there have been shows that we play where I see a fair amount of, uh, of jerseys in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to lean heavy on the, on, 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 on the early stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, which makes it, which keeps it interesting and makes it fun and makes every day different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that we have to have to deal with, you know, because or else we could be bombing night to night. Who knows? Yeah. That's our strategy. Normally just like, you know what? You take what you get and you don't get <laughs> upset. It. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gotten a little better um, in the last few years. I think people, are really and you know the reality is is that another reason why fans have been able to stay with us is because people grow too mm-hmm. so as mm-hmm. our music has changed 
the people who have listened to our music have changed. And, you know, the people who were listening to us in 2005 who were into, you know, Infest and, you know, what have you, are now have have well discovered, you know, New Order or whatever bands that we get compared to now. You know, because I think so many bands would have like a hard break from their past, you know, like you look at, I'm sure Wasted Youth wasn't playing stuff off Reagan's Inn when they were a glam metal band, or maybe they were, but right. there was like a, you know, a, a much more of a hard break. It probably felt like, um, right. There was a clear, there, there was a clear, this record from now on, we are different. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Exactly. Like it, it was like a departure and, and it's right. You know, it's, it's much harder when you're like, well, no, I'm not trying to leave anything behind. I want to bring it all with me. It's all valid. Exactly. Exactly. Um, when, like, when, uh, when, when you signed to Matador Records, was that like, was that like a, a, a feeling that this was going to be something different for you as a band, or was it like just you know once again the next step, having been on Bridge Nine and having, you know, exhausted kind of like that world for for yourselves? I mean, not that world, sure. as a world. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think we we never looked at it as. At that point, we had been a band for, you know, seven or so years. So we were a lot better about keeping our expectations at bay. And never were we like, oh, now that we have signed the Matador, we are going to make it. We are going to be, um, you know, on the radio and um, all that. We never thought that. But we were stoked that, that it seemed to be although gradual, it seemed to, the band kept, you know, was able to make step up, you know, was, was, we were still able to go forward, you know, and Matador, and, you know, obviously this is no knock to Bridge Nine, they, they, they did a lot of great work for us, but, you know, the, the influence and the distribution and the audience of Matador, you know, cannot be denied. So we were definitely proud of ourselves that we were still able to, um, you know, go, go one step up, mm-hmm. you know, and not, and not down or, or parallel, but there was never a moment where we thought that signing the matador was going to change our life or that we were now going to, you know, adopt, you know, all of these Bell and Sebastian fans. <laughs> It's funny you know. too. It's funny because like I think there there's almost an expectation, you know, and I felt this certainly when I was on the label too, where where people did expect you to become that band. Like even if you never expected right. to become that band, like there was that pressure to like, no, this could happen, and you're like, no, no, it won't happen, and they're like, no, it, it but it could. Right. Yeah, and and again, it goes back to what we've been talking about. It's the the audience and the is is what places that on you. Mm-hmm. They they say oh they're they're signing to an indie rock label therefore they must blank you know and the reality is they were they were the the label that was interested in us and they had good resources so it seemed like a good fit and that was really it you know like it, it winds up being the label that makes sense more than it winds up being a label of strategy like I think 
of course. Like it's it's amazing how much of your your work winds up being up to other people's expectations, you know, like be it right creatively or even on the decisions you make as a band and why you're making these decisions are are analyzed in a way that I, I don't know if they were when I guess they always have been in punk rock, but I guess they aren't in necessarily in other genres. Right. And you know, we had to deal with that with the with Matador with, you know, with Matador, the label too, you know, I, there were, I feel looking back, I think Matador signed us because they wanted Roner Park. They wanted that, that band, they wanted that style of ceremony. I think they wanted, I don't think they, they, they didn't, I don't feel they wanted us to shift, you know, they, they, they supported us when, when we did for sure. But I feel they signed us because of the band that we were or, or of, of, of the style, because they wanted a band of the style of music that runner park was, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So even them, you know, they had, they had placed their own expectations on us that, that, you know, that, that we had to work around and navigate. It, it's amazing when you make that jump from like, um, you know, like a label like Malfunction or for us, like a label like Deranged to a label like right. Matador where there's multiple people depending on this for a paycheck. So all of a sudden it becomes less about what you want to do as a, a work of art and more about how this work of art can be marketed and sold. And like that's just the nature of the beast. Like that's not a criticism on them. I mean that on any label no. that's that size. Of course. And look, the reality is – you and I want our records to sell well. Yeah, absolutely. We want our records to do well. It's yeah. not, I'm not mad at them trying to figure out a, um, a strategy to get our music into people's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's fine and great. You know, it's like, yes, we don't do this for money and we do this for the love of, 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 of the art. But the more people who are exposed to this, the easier it will be for us to create our art. Yeah. So of course, yeah, it's not a criticism on them at all, but the reality is we have to work around not only the audience's expectation, but the people who we are making music with as well. Yeah. I find like it's, it, you know, the similarities that you and I have discussed at length between wrestling and punk, there's so many, mm-hmm. But like the the end games of the two are just like the complete opposite. Like where wrestling yeah. is a business about making money above everything else, right? And, of course. And punk, it's almost like it's a business of trying to avoid making money while still surviving at a comfortable right. place over right. everything else. There's a sweet like the like a wrestling fan is not going to stop liking a wrestler or stop following a certain, um, you know, a certain talent because it's clear they're trying to monetize their brand or yeah. that they're even trying to brand themselves at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, where obviously with punk and hardcore, even though there are, there are very many successful bands who have branded their bands and have marketed their bands. Well, I would and say all the most successful ones have like it's all of them have. Yeah. Like the misfits, um, are like the most well-marketed branded band, arguably in rock and roll ever. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like them and, and kiss. Even on a, yes. Even on a smaller scale, you know, bands like, 
you know, I don't know, mind eraser has mm-hmm. an awesome aesthetic and a tangible thing. And when you think mind eraser, you know what that is. A yeah. band like Iron Lung. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how amazing is their is their package and their story? You yeah. know? Yeah. Or, or infest about them or 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 infest. But the thing about all those bands is that A, they make great music, B, their aesthetic is good and not cultivated. And they work hard. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's not like that us as punks are above, you know, giving a band a chance or liking a band that does have a clear, you know, vision for for all aspects of their band. It's when that that becomes the, you know, that is leading the way. That's when it becomes gross. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. When you when it becomes obvious that there's no there's nothing behind the branding other than to market it. Right. Um, and I guess that's the thing is also all these bands kind of stumbled upon unintentional brands because they were just trying to, like, as you say, look for cool things to kind of like, you know, be it a cool image to kind of put on a record or a cool of course. riff to incorporate in the song. Like the, the, yeah, it's almost like the brand grows out of the, the artistic achievement first. Right. Exactly. It's like, I don't think John Brandon and those guys were sitting around in a meeting like, okay, guys, we need something really iconic for our service. Yeah. And, and they were throwing up, you know, like, you know, sketches. It's like they, they liked the Linda Blair image and they used that. But yes. it just so happened yep. that they were awesome. That image is killer. It worked with the music and they wrote and they stumbled on something that worked, you yeah. know, I think, I where think we would have been able to. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think the reissue art, uh, reissue artwork backs up your argument yeah. better than anyone else Dude, could. We, we, so we just played our record release uh, weekend with Piss Jeans. Yes. And the first night in, um, in San Francisco, they had that, the, uh, the reissue image projected <laughs> during their entire set. <laughs> <laughs> it is it was, it was incredible oh that is it is uh truly one of the great cover reissues of all time or the uh it really is it's uh, it's it's unparalleled unparalleled absolutely um but yeah like i think you know like you said it's just like these these people stumbled upon an aesthetic and a brand out of just what they were doing whereas in wrestling like if you come in like if you're Orange Cassidy or or Darby Allen mm-hmm. and you come in with like a, a brand right out of the gate, uh, you know like that's that's better for you. Like you're going to do better for doing that. Of course, and if you a lot of, you know, if you come with a brand right out of the gate that sucks, the audience is going to let you know that it sucks. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? But, I mean, uh, yep. John, John, like the first John Cena, you know, when he just had the matching shorts and boots every match with the crew cut was objectively bad but he thought he was doing a thing you know he thought that that was his identity i'll be the crew cut guy with the matching shorts and the matching you know bright bright boots and that'll be the thing you know so just having and just because you have an aesthetic or just because you have branded yourself with something that doesn't mean it's 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 of value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see him when he was the prototype? Uh, I mean, I, re- I remember, I mean, I didn't see him, but yeah, I've, I've seen, I've seen the, uh, 
the footage. I've seen the videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, <laughs> the footage. Uh, really strange. Very strange. It, it's a uh, yeah. It's it's the differences between the worlds are what makes them so perfectly attached. Right, right. Um, dude, this has been an amazing conversation. Would you come back at some point for a part three? I would love to come back for a part three. I love talking with you. Um, anytime, my friend. As my fellow wrestling AFI loving brother in 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 arms, mm-hmm. uh, the Havoc versus Havoc match recently happened, where Jessica von <laughs> Havoc wrestled Jimmy Havoc on Jimmy Havoc's last appearance on the Indies, and wow! And I reached out to Dave and got him to cut a promo that they aired before the match. You're kidding me? No, I got to send you the promo that he cut. He just about how he want, he should never had kids because now they're fighting. And, uh, oh my God, <laughs> incredible. I think it was, they were beside themselves. And I think that might be my greatest contribution to pop culture that I've ever made. You, you have a great mind, my friend. I think you'd be a great wrestling manager. Uh, I think, I think I just couldn't do any of that physical shit, you know, like yeah, I, yeah, it hurts sure. way too you're, much. The, uh, you know, you're, you're really on the sidelines. Yeah, I'm very much. Yeah. I'm like the guy who comes out in the Pope mobile or like the, uh, the, uh, but every couple of years, bubble. you're going to have to take a bump. You're I know. Have to take a bump every couple of years. That, that's just the reality. I know. And you know that, you know how much that shit hurts. Like, you know, it's, it's like, no, that shit yeah, feels good. Didn't you take a bump, your first bump like a year ago and you, and you actually injured yourself? I've taken a couple, a few, I'd say at this point, but, uh, one of the one of the most spectacular ones is when I got uh, four fifty by Air Fox, and my <laughs> God, did I have problems walking for a long time? It's like Bruce Pritchard and the Ultimate Warrior. Exactly. I think Air Fox. Yeah. I think Air Fox mm-hmm. could have killed me if he wanted. So I think he spared me that. Yeah. But he definitely let me know that everything they do in there hurts a little bit. Or a it, lot of it. it hurts. It hurts. Yes. Uh, Anthony, thank you so cool, much bud. for coming on the show. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Anthony, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Anthony's going to be back for part three. And then, and then we'll do like a part four. You know, we got, we got, we got stuff planned. We got stuff planned, but that's, that's in the future. Uh, speaking of future next week on the show, we're going to, our next episode of the show, I should say, which is going to come next week. Let's be honest. I'm not going to, I'm going to drop a surprise one on you uh, overnight or anything like that. But on next episode of Turn Out a Punk, we have a, a doozy, a doozy of an episode for you. One of my favorite vocalists of all time, lead singer of one of my, one of the, the greatest bands of all time, the greatest punk bands of all time, authors of some of the greatest songs of all time. Next week on the show, Johnny Peabucks of the Swingin' Utters is on, and it is a fun conversation he and I had in a park, sun shining down, birds chirping in the background. It will uh, harken back to the warmer days before winter hits, unless you're listening to this in Australia or Japan or somewhere where... Uh, summer's just about to hit, and when, in which case it'll harken to the days ahead of summer. But this is a f- an episode I've been dreaming about doing for a very, very long time. Shout out to the homie Melanie K for making it happen because, oh, whew, this is one of those bands for me. This is one of those bands. So that is next week 
on the show. Until then, uh, go there and sign your organ donor cards because, uh, because you know, my uncle's still doing good. So, uh, yeah, please help someone else out when you don't need it yourself at that point. Uh, also, go out there and make your own culture. That's it. Stay safe, and I'll uh, see you next week. That's it. That's all, that's all I got. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 